you take your Bibles and turn to Acts 20 as we continue our study of the book of Acts. In Acts 20, it, it's, it's an interesting chapter because in the verses that we just, we just read here, um, the focus of Paul, the text is Paul delivering sort of a mini-charge, little mini-sermon to the leaders of the church of Ephesus. Paul had been with them for probably around three years. He had been teaching them, he'd been discipling them, he'd been training them. He's now on his way to Jerusalem to deliver um, a, a gift from the Gentile churches to the Jerusalem church. You can read about that in Romans 15. He calls for the elders of Ephesus to meet him in Miletus. And when they come together in verse 17, he gives them a charge. He shares with them, this is what leaders in the church ought to be like ought to do. And so I guess I'll, I'll ask you right now, how many elders do we have present right now? Can you stand up? There's two of you. Could you just remain standing because I'm preaching to the two of you? Okay. You can sit down. That's great. Thanks, Ken. Andrew. There were more elders at the early service. Yes, it's true that this text is directed to the leaders of a local church. But I also think that what we see in the uh, charge he gives to the elders, we see some very important foundational principles that I think we all need to grapple with. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want to show you from the text two foundations for what a healthy church and what a healthy leadership team in a church should look like. Two foundations for a healthy church, healthy leadership. And then I'm going to give two specific applications for church leaders. So let's look at the first foundation. I, I think something that we all need to come to grips with. But the first foundation, which is really central to Paul's admonition to the group of leaders, is this. The church's identity value and mission are centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our identity as a local church, all churches who name the name of Christ, who preach God's word, their identity, their value, their mission comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice what it says in verse 28 here. It's giving an admonition to the leaders. We'll get to that in a minute. But it says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, it's at the very center of his admonition to the leaders of the local church. He's reminding them that the church, the body of believers, that every local body of believers is part of the flock of God, the church of God. It belongs to God. It's God's church. And specifically, how did the church come to be God's flock or the church of God? It was obtained with his own blood. Or it's in the superscript here in the ESV, with the blood of his own. In other words, local churches come to exist because Jesus Christ, sent by the Father, comes and dies for us, sheds his blood, 
as a substitute, as a sacrifice, in order not only to bring us to a right relationship with God, but to put us together as God's people, his flock, his body, the church. And that's crucial to realize. It's God's flock. It's the church of God. It was obtained with his own blood, the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. The church is not just man's invention. The church is not just something we do because this is what followers of Christ do. The church of Jesus Christ is a blood-bought community of believers who have received redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ, who've been brought together in a specific locale to honor God because we are his church. Now, I have to say, I feel a little convicted about this text because I know I have said this many, many times. I've talked about how the church is a mess. I've talked about how you're a mess. I've talked about how I'm a mess. And all that's true. It's true. The church, it's all about the grace of God. It's all about what God has done for us. But, but, But the reality is the church is incredibly valuable. It cost God the very shed blood of his own son to bring us together. This church at Stonehill, in spite of all of our sin, which yes, we are still sinful, in spite of our dysfunctionality, of course, it's special because it's the very flock of God. It's his church. It's not your church, it's not my church, it's not the elder's church, it's not, it's his body purchased with the blood of his own son. And therefore, in spite of of the church's failure and every local church's failures, which are significant, yes, we also, if we want to understand this first foundation, that the church's identity, value, and mission are centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and therefore the church has incredible value. The church has this incredible mission. The church has this incredible identity, and it's all centered in what Jesus Christ did for us on that cross. And what's interesting, I think, is that this is sort of foundational to Paul's appeal to the leaders of the church. He's saying, listen, as you are responsible to care for this flock, remember, it's not your flock, it's mine. Remember, you're not the ones who brought the flock together. I did that through my son, Jesus Christ, and his shed blood. Notice how Paul illustrates that reality that the church's identity, its mission is all related to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice what he what else he describes in verses 20 and 21. He says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul understood that the message of the gospel was the basis of the church's identity, its mission, its value, wrapped up in what God did in Jesus Christ. Notice verse 24. Paul says, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if 
If only I finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Notice what Paul says. I don't really take a lot of thought about me at all except that I may preach the gospel. Because for Paul, the church of Jesus Christ was built on the gospel. The church of Jesus Christ came into existence because of the gospel. The mission of the church is about the gospel. And it's the death of Jesus Christ, his shed blood, which gives value to the church. In spite of our many failures, in spite of our dysfunction, Paul understands that because Jesus Christ shed his blood to redeem us and to bring us into the body of Christ, the church was massively valuable in the eyes of God, and he treated it as such. Now, I hate to say it, but church history is filled with stories of pastors, people like me, and other elders who've, who've forgotten that the value and mission and, 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 and uh, identity of the church is rooted in Christ. Oh, you know stories. Pastors who made the church all about them, not that much about Jesus. Pastors who, who, who treated the church as something to do with them, talked about the church as, this is my church. And of course, you probably have heard people in churches who say, I've been to this church for 50 years. This is my church, and you guys better do what I want to do. We, we are all tempted to do that because we've forgotten how the church came into being. We forgot about our identity. We forgot about our mission. We've forgotten about the value that comes from Jesus and his death. I want you to notice back up in the beginning of this little sermon to the elders Verse 18, it says, And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia. Again, he was with the church in Ephesus for three years. He said, Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. It's interesting, he, he, he talks about this, this idea of, of, of humility. And I think that one of the reasons Paul felt humbled is because he recognized that in God giving him this task to plant this church in Ephesus, he was working with this body of believers that was per purchased through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, was valuable to God, that God went to all the trouble to bring this body together. And I think it humbled him to know that God gave him this work to be involved in shaping that church leading that church and training its first elders who could continue to lead the church in his absence. And I think for any elder, any pastor, any staff member, any deacon in a church, by extension, a small group leader, a youth leader, a Sunday school teacher, if we really understood that Stonehill Church, is, it's not primarily a building, although we meet in a building. It's not primarily about the budget. Or that's not what actually makes the church uh, what, what it is. It's not necessarily about what we do and the giftedness of all the people in the church, although that's part of it, is that what the church is, is God's 
pouring out his love and grace on us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, bringing us together to continue his work on the earth, it would make us all a lot more humble about how we operated and how we thought about and how we viewed the church. Drive us to our knees. It's a special place. I don't know, a week or so ago, I, um, I, I do enjoy reading da David Brooks, and he had this incredible article about humility. It, it's called Truly Humbled to be the author of this article. Already you knew from the title this was going to be good. What David Brooks is talking about is that he's saying that in our sort of our social media culture, we have all learned to, uh, to act like we're humble, but in order to brag about our greatness. Here's what he says. There's three rules to this in social media. Number one, you must never tweet about any event that could actually lead you to humility. Never tweet, I'm humbled that I got fired for incompetence. Never tweet, I'm humbled that I went to a party and nobody noticed me. No. Second, never use the word, always use the word humbled when the word proud is probably what you, is more accurate. In other words, you don't want to be proud of your accomplishment, you want to be humbled. Okay? The key to humility is to use self-effacement as a tool to maximize your self-promotion. The third rule is never use a pronoun. Don't say, I am humbled, just say, humbled. Because you want people to think that you are so busy because your life is so great and incredibly effective that you don't have time for the pronouns. Now you think about this. He kind of wraps up the first paragraph of his article. He says, the whole point of, you, of humility display is to signal that you are humbled by your own magnificent accomplishments. We can all be humbled by an awesome mountain or the infinitude of the night sky, but to be humbled, and this is important, but to be humbled by being in the presence of yourself, that is a sign of truly great humility. I wonder if one of the issues in church, one of the issues why there's conflict in churches, right, is because we really haven't grappled deeply enough with the idea that the church of Jesus Christ is his church, not ours. And that our entrance into this body of believers is not something we earned. It was given to us by grace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And it's his church. And therefore, knowing that about the church, whatever local church you happen to go to, should cause you to be far more humble actually humble to be here knowing this is not your church it's God's church it's his flock and you did nothing to get into this group you were given 
the grace through the shed blood of Jesus that allows you to be in this group and everyone else in the group got in the same way you did. And truly understanding that would cause us to be massively, incredibly humble in the way we operated with one another. And certainly for leaders, elders in a local church, understanding what the church is, its identity, its mission, its value comes from Christ, comes from the gospel, would change the way any leader would operate in terms of how they conducted themselves in leadership. That's the first foundation. I want to look at the second foundation is this, is that the church's ministry is propelled by the gospel. Why don't you look at Acts 20, 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's interesting, we don't really have a record of Jesus exactly saying that, so this must have been some tradition that Paul was able to understand, and maybe it was an eyewitness account of what something Jesus said. But the important point here is that what Paul is saying in terms of his his uh, appeal to leaders is that you need to remember leaders is that the gospel, which is the basis and nature and identity and mission of the church, is the way the church moves forward by giving, not receiving. The whole issue of the gospel is Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the way of leadership in the church is to emulate the, the, the leadership of Jesus by laying down our life for the sake of the flock. Notice what Paul says in verse 33. He said, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. What Paul is describing is his service to the church in Ephesus. Last week, uh, Bill Boyce, one of our elders, filled in for me, and, and he did a great job last week. But what was interesting about um, Acts 19, the, the previous chapter, is that Paul... Uh, was in the synagogue in Ephesus, and he got run out of the synagogue because they were uh, disparaging him, and he went to the hall of uh, Tyrannus. And he there lectured, it said, during the day. And it's possible, most commentators believe, that Paul was speaking probably between 11 and 4 p.m., 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Why? Because those were the working hours. In other, in other words, I'm sorry, they weren't the working hours. The working hours were early in the morning, and they stopped at 11 for siesta, so to speak, because of the heat, and then picked it up later at 4 o'clock. And so what Paul was doing is, in the morning, he was working just like everyone else. He was going to make his tents to supply the funds he needed. And then he taught all day. He worked extremely hard. He worked uh, extremely um, uh, you know, he's diligent in what he did. Now, Paul does say in 1 Timothy, it's not, uh, it's not wrong necessarily to compensate those among you who are working and serving you as pastors and elders, of course. But the reality is, even here at Stone Hill, we have 13 elders. 11 of the 13 don't get a paycheck. 
They volunteer. They are clearly not motivated by, by money uh, in, in, in gold or silver. But again, what Paul is saying here is that since it is better to give than to receive, because the gospel is about giving, not receiving, what leadership needs to be doing is pouring their lives out for others and not doing ministry to receive anything from it per se. really important for pastors. It's important for all leaders in the church, elders and deacons, Sunday school teachers. I mean, if you're serving Christ to get a pat on the back, if you're serving Christ to get some kind of affirmation, you have lost sight of the gospel. That's not what it's about. And again, while this is crucial for leaders, it's also crucial for for all of us, it's very easy, particularly North America, we have been great at this. We have turned the church into a consumer pursuit. You know, what's in it for me? What about me? What about my needs? What, what, you know, I want this, I want that. And, and when we do that, we undermine the very nature of the gospel and the very nature of what the church is supposed to be about. And a church becomes less and less healthy when we lose sight of the fact that it's better to give than to receive. And when leaders and or the church falls into those traps, it can get very, very difficult. The church loses its gospel focus because the church's ministry is propelled by the gospel is better to give than to receive. Well, those are the two foundations. I want to get, just briefly, talk about two specific admonitions, two specific commands for the leaders of the church. Again, Paul is speaking directly to elders, but I would say deacons, Sunday school teachers, youth workers, care team members, uh, small group leaders. In, in, In a very sense, all it could be applied to all of us. But here is the first admonition, the first command. Verse 28, again, these are all based on the foundation, the two foundations. Pay careful attention to yourselves. The first admonition that Paul makes is he he wants to make sure that leaders watch out for themselves, watch over their life, guard their life, because it is so easy for leaders, church leaders even, to get their eyes off of the gospel, off of the value of the church being in Jesus and his shed blood, off of the fact that ministry is propelled by the gospel, and begin to turn the church into something that's more about them than Jesus. I wish it wasn't so. You can get on Christianity Today and you can listen to a podcast that will, it, it, it will boggle, boggle your mind. A church that preached the gospel in many ways. But in almost every other aspect, it wasn't about caring for the sheep because the leaders were not caring for themselves and not able to watch over themselves. Now, of course, embedded in the text is a, a help to that 
It's interesting when it talks about Paul calling for the elders of the church. It's talking about a plural, a group of, of, of a number of elders. It's just not talking about one elder. It's talking about a group of elders. And the New Testament pattern is to have a group of leaders provide leadership for the church so all the power is not in one person. That's a good thing. It's a good thing, and I say that even though I, I, you know, I, I guess I could be the closest to have all the power. If I had all the power, this sanctuary would be blue and silver. I am very grateful that there are 12 other guys that are praying with me, thinking through issues, talking and, and discussing things. I'm very happy that almost early on, in, 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 I think I was still the lead transitional pastor, I got voted down. Now, those elders who voted me down, they're not, they're off the board. No, they're not. They're on the board. They continue to be on the board. Why? It's good. It's healthy. And why is that? Leaders need to watch out and look at their own lives and to make sure they are not going away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. To make sure that their focus is on living out the gospel that is better to give than to receive. To make sure that the church is focused on the word of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is front and center. The identity, the mission, the value of the church is coming from that and that alone. But there's more to it. Verse 28 says, also be careful. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Part of what any leader would do, whether you're leading a small group, or you're leading a ministry team, but certainly the elders of the church, is to care for all the flock. And there's a reason for that. Verse 29 says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. There's always a temptation in any church at any time for people within the church or even without the church who come in and begin to pull the church away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, to pull the church away from the focus that this is all about Christ, to pull the church away from the fact that, that the way forward in any church is to live out the gospel that is better to give than to receive. And good elders... have to pay attention to guard the flock. And we do this in a number of ways as elders. We pray for you, uh, many of you. Every meeting, we spend the first 30 minutes of every meeting praying for you. That's part of our shepherding role. At other times, we spent hours trying to deal with, you know, conflict that arises in your own family and, and, or, or in the church. We, 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 we care for you. We try to visit you. We try to call you. We have parishes, so if you join the church, you're part of an elder's parish. And we're supposed to be reaching out to you more effectively. We're doing, attempting to do our part in caring for you, watching over you, caring for your soul. So that you can be all that God would want you to be. And I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. 
And I'm going to tell you a story, and, and, and I don't, I, I'm worried that some child psychologist out there is going to call me and say I need to come in for therapy. It's my childhood. Let me live it, okay? It's fine. It's all good. My dad was a pastor. He disappeared for these elders' meetings a couple times a month. I always wondered what the elders did. It was a little bit of a black box, you know, I wasn't sure. And my dad was supposed to take me on my birthday. Um, it was a day after one of the elders' meetings. He was going to take me somewhere, and my dad wasn't available. And my mom, okay, don't get mad at my mom. She's still alive. She's a wonderful person. But my mother told me that there had been an altercation at the elders' meeting, and my dad was in the hospital. That was not true. I know why she did this, I don't know, but I was, I was very interested in the elders' meetings, okay? I was about 13. I was like, really? Whoa. Then I said, well, who was it? Which, which one of the elders got into it with Dad? And she said a name, and, and my, my comment was, oh, that figures. <laughs> and then she told me it was a joke. I, I, I was like, oh. But elders, they do have this important role of caring. And I will never forget, I was in college, I was going to my, my dad's church, and there was a man in our church who was a deacon, actually, and he really went off the rails. Left his family with another woman. It's a total disaster. But those elders kept reaching out to that man because there was still hope for, for repair. There was still hope for some kind of reconciliation, and they kept appealing to him and appealing to him. And, and those guys... Most of them, other than my dad, were not paid. On the day he decided to make his divorce final and to marry this other woman, the elders of the church I attended got, asked the church to pray for them. They got into a van, drove two and a half hours east of Dallas, and met the guy in the parking lot to give him one more chance to repent of his sin. That's shepherding. And it didn't work. He went on ahead. And the whole church discipline thing happened fully because he was unrepentant. But two years later, he wrote a long letter to the church. And again, there was a lot of damage done here. But he wrote a letter to the church where he fully took responsibility for his sin, apologized for what he did to his kids, his wife, apologized to the church for the poor reputation uh, the, the, the damage he had done to the reputation of Christ. And there was, there was a level of restoration. And why did that happen? Well, in his words, because those elders wouldn't let go of me even though I was running as far as I could away from God as possible. That's shepherding. Now, I think any of the elders will tell you, and including myself, To watch over a group of a couple of hundred people, uh, it, it's not easy. It's a daunting task. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. The, the reality is the situations that we have to get involved in, we are not adequate for the task, actually. So I would just encourage you, if you want the church to be healthy, you, the congregation, probably ought to be praying for your leaders. Maybe more than you are. And asking God to help us guard our own spiritual lives, which need to be guarded, but also that God would give us the wisdom we can. Because it's beyond us. 
It's bigger than any person can do. And we need the Spirit of God to help us to do this incredible work, modeled on our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, who modeled to us that the gospel is the way forward for the church. It propels ministry. It is better to give than to receive. But also, Jesus Christ modeled that the church of Jesus Christ is built not on us or anything we've done, but on the grace of Christ given to us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ who redeemed us to himself. So let me pray for us, pray for our church leaders, and then we'll close. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, on the one hand, Lord, we know that the church, since it's made up of People like us, it's made up of sinful people. We know there's dysfunction, there's sin, there's problems. And yet, Lord, we also need to remember that this flock, your flock, it's yours, not ours. And your flock was brought together because your son, Jesus Christ, shed his blood to bring us back not only to you, but to put us into these local assemblies called the church. And I pray that in spite of the church and its failures, may we have an exalted view of the church because of what you have done. I pray that it would drive us to humility to know that we don't even belong here, but we are given the privilege of that only through your shed blood. Forgive us, Lord, for making the church about ourselves. Forgive us for making the church about our preferences. Forgive us for making the church about our consumer sort of uh, desires or, 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 or preferences. For not seeing the church the way you see it. And Lord, I pray that you would empower us by your spirit to live out the gospel with one another. It is better to give than to receive. I pray that we would not hold back. I pray that we would, we would pour ourselves out for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that we would be involved with one another and be involved in ministry and not make the church about us. I pray for me. I pray for the other pastors in our church. I pray for the, all of the elders, the staff. Lord, may we never look at the church as it's something about us, but we would see that the ministry of the church goes forward when we give because it is better to give than to receive. I pray that you would protect the leaders of our church, not only the elders, but our deacons, our small group leaders, our youth workers, our Sunday school teachers, and, and all the other workers would protect us, would help us to guard ourselves from letting things other than Christ pull us away from the church, pull us away from Christ. And I pray also that you would be with the elders of Stonehill, that you would, by your grace, give them power and strength to pay careful attention to this flock of which you have made them the overseers of. Strengthen them, empower them, give them grace, give them strength. Help us as a congregation to pray for them more consistently. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.